So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that your spirit is just generously moving through the room today, through the hearts of your people, touching our minds, opening us up to seeing you and hearing from you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to just bring increase now. We love how you make Jesus really big in our hearts and in our lives, Holy Spirit. And we, we, we love the way, Holy Spirit, when we open the Bible and read the Bible. It's like, Holy Spirit, you bring it alive to us and we welcome you to do that as we read the Bible this morning. And, and Holy Spirit, would you just lovingly and powerfully let all of that revelation that we receive in, from you this morning, would you change our lives with it as well? change our lives for your greater glory God for our joy and for the well-being of others we ask it in your name Jesus amen all righty well vineyard it's good to be with you this morning and uh, we love being here every Sunday that Nick and I can get here these days becomes more and more precious to us we seriously uh, love being with our own tribe as often as we can Last weekend, I was, uh, I was down with the Westgate Vineyard Church in Melbourne. Westgate is literally just near the city. And uh, if you're looking at a map of sort of Melbourne and you've got the city, it's just a little to the west. Quite, it's only about a 15-minute drive out of the city, if that. And that is where John and Naomi Bajaya have been pastoring for the last three years. Can you believe that? They've been there three years now. And uh, it was just over three years ago that they started ministry there. And um, so we were down there, or I was down there last weekend with the church family down there. And I wanted to share with you as well, some of you may know this already, some of you may not, but John and Naomi are finishing up their time as serving as the senior pastors of Westgate Vineyard Church. And they're relocating their family to Brisbane. And so... I just ask that you keep John and Naomi in your prayers as they transition out of Melbourne to Brisbane and their girls and out of schools and into schools. And they're literally doing it over the next couple of weeks when the school June-July holidays happen. They'll have finished their three-year um, their three-year agreement to serve at the Westgate Vineyard Church and they, they have a sense that Jesus has said, that's it, you need to uh, head back to Brisbane now. And so can you just be praying for the Bajayas as they exit Melbourne, head back to Brisbane, and uh, as they resettle into life and all that Jesus has for them here in Pine Rivers. If you could do that, we would, we would really love your prayer support for them. They'll be here in, uh, I think, the weekend of the 2nd of July is when they'll be They'll be back here at Vineyard Pine Rivers. And so just give them lots of love and hugs and say, you guys have done an outstanding job serving Jesus in a whole other part of the world. Literally, literally, Victoria, a whole other part of the world. So, um, and just love on them heaps and just whisper to them the Father's affirmation as often and as much as you can um, because it's at times of change and, and I'm not just speaking for John and Nay here, I'm speaking to all of us. At times of change and transition in our lives where we're making significant decisions, it's, it's in those times that sometimes 
the, the, the work and the words of the enemy can get really loud and very um, intense to try and want to rob you from your obedience to Jesus and saying, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you and I'll do what you're asking me to do. And so, um, you know, I say that for all of us, but particularly for John and Nay as they head to Brisbane, just that the Lord would silence the works of, and words of the enemy and he would turn up his words of affirmation and love. And a big part of that is you guys. You're the people of Jesus. You're the people that carry the work of the Holy Spirit today. You're the ones through whom God's heart is expressed in words and actions and love. And so you're a big, important part of helping people stay following Jesus, even as you are to each other, even as you are to each other. Okay. This morning, I want to share with you um, the next part that we've been teaching or I've been teaching on in terms of vision for our lives. And we're going to pick up in, uh, if you want to get your Bible ready, in Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to pick up there in a moment. But uh, as we've been engaging with this, we've been looking at things like King Solomon's uh, Proverbs, where he says, where there is no revelation, or the word for that is vision, uh, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, when you can't see what God's up to, you'll build, build for yourself a God, you'll build for yourself a vision of what life is, you'll build for yourself what you think it's all about, and you'll cast off the restraining nature of the generosity of God, and you'll exchange it for what you can generate, and what you think your life should be all about. And so in the absence of the generosity of God, we actually turn to and, in, and invest in our own ideas of what we think uh, our life should be about. Um, Peterson, Eugene Peterson wrote it in the message version like this. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble over all over themselves. And, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That's a really great um, reading or, or rewriting of that scripture. Uh, vision, you know, mental sight, dream, revelation, and perish. They're released from the protective restraints. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the nature of vision or the function of vision. And we just kind of went through these key uh, points of how uh, vision actually, um, the role that it plays in our life and how it connects us to what God's doing. And these are, these are just some words to just try and describe some of the mechanics of the relationship that we have with God. As he's saying, hey, I'm calling you for this kingdom life to live with me and we, and we looked at all of these these things the role of vision it plays in our life it it's an ability to see in our heart and our mind god's direction for his leading to our life it's a, it vision is like a bridge between where i am and where god is is inviting me to follow him to and into it acts like a bridge vision is like the eye of faith it's like this capacity to see something that's right now invisible become visible okay we can read all about that in uh, in hebrews uh it's a lifestyle vision is a lifestyle where we're partnering with god and his plans his visions it's an inner fire that enables us to communicate with people what our life purpose is about what we believe we're meant to be for as individuals and as as a people 
together walking this kingdom walk with God. It's a kingdom dream. It's often, vision is often something so um, beyond us. It's kingdom in the sense that it's lofty. It's, it, it almost seems like it's beyond or too far. And it, but, it, but at the same time, the nature of it being lofty is it, is it draws us toward it, to what, toward what God is doing. And um, vision is a sense of God's presence to be able to perceive his power, to focus on his plans despite the obstacles. And I want to have a little talk about some obstacles today. But these are some of the things that we unpacked together last time we were here. And, and we left ourselves with this question of whose vision for life are we really serving? Because the Apostle Paul, he talks, he talks about this great big encounter with Jesus and he describes the person of Jesus and who Jesus is to him. And he gets this life, sense of life calling from Jesus. And Paul makes this comment, it's this vision that I have now become a servant of. So Paul's whole life is one of serving because he's met Jesus. And now he's exchanged what he thought life was meant to be about. And he's exchanged it for the greater glory of a vision of a life lived with Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrected one. And so whose vision for life are we serving? Uh, when I was, I mean, when I was 17, it was seven, when I was 17, that's when you could get a driver's license. These days it's 16, you can get a learner's, but when it was my era, it was 17. And fortunately we didn't have to do 100 hours. I think we only had to have it for a few weeks Six weeks, and that was it. Six weeks, and then you, they let you loose. <laughs> they let you loose. And it wasn't long after, uh, you know, so basically the morning of my 17th birthday, I was straight down to the police uh, uh, centre, the police shop there at Petrie Police Station, and you fill out your multiple choice form and boom, and then they slide your piece of paper and say, there you go, you got your, you got your learners. And so, and then six weeks later, went back for the exam, passed the exam and they give you the provisional and off you go. And so it was pretty, I thought that was a really good process. <laughs> Didn't have to do 100 hours. But what I soon discovered was with that piece of paper that they slid to me over the counter and said, here, here you go, here's your provisional license, away you go. What they were doing was they were really, the, 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 the state and the police, they were actually saying, hey, listen, we're going to invest in you a great sense of freedom here, here you go. And with it, there was a great sense of freedom. I could go wherever I wanted to go. I could go whenever I wanted to go. Uh, I could go and see whoever I wanted to see. I could take with me whoever I wanted to take. It was this great sense of liberty and freedom. Now, it, it didn't take me too long to realise that with this great freedom came... <laughs> In the words of Spider-Man, great responsibility. <laughs> because it wasn't long before there was a lot of, you know, near misses. And more than near misses, there was accidents. And cars were, my car, a number of my cars actually got a few wrinkles in them. And uh, fortunately, no one was hurt. And most of the time, it was just me in the car being an idiot when those things happened on dirt roads. But nonetheless, I realised with this great freedom... In those moments of near misses, it was like, whoa, hang on, there's also a great responsibility here. And all of a sudden, I'd, I'd, I learned about the value of my own life. It was like, oh, that could have gone really wrong and I could have been hurt. 
And then at the same time, I also began to become aware with this great freedom that I was given, I started to become aware of the fact that, you know what, there's other people that use the road other than myself. (laughs) And I actually had to start to learn to make my driving experience not just about me, but about me and everyone else that was using the road. And the children that lived in the streets around which I was driving home and, you know, the people that were driving caravans that I thought were driving them way too slow, all of those sort of things. I had to become aware of others and act accordingly. And so with this great sense of freedom, my character and my heart and my maturity all of a sudden came into focus. It was like I realised, you know what? This car thing for me, I'm, I'm, you know, starting out at 17, it was, it was just all about me. And I was pretty selfish about it. But I soon learnt that I couldn't be like that on the road because if I was just going to make it about me, other people would get hurt, let alone myself. And so began a journey in my driving experience of learning to steward the freedom that I'd been given to drive a car. When it comes to receiving kingdom vision for our life, when we begin to engage in a conversation with God and we start saying, God, would you show me what you've made me for? Would you show me what your kingdom is doing in my circumstances that I can join with you? When, when we start to engage in that conversation and God responds and he starts to fill our heart and our mind and our life with those visions that come from him, because he's not, he's not holding it back from us. He's actually very generous and wants to give us complete understanding of what he's doing that we can join with him. But with that, as he, as he reveals to you his things, his purposes and passions for your life, also comes very quickly into the picture our ability to steward that and to steward that well or not. And then comes the conversation of the character of that stewardship is one where Jesus wants to go after our heart. And he says, well, look, I'm sharing this with you and it's a vision of what is to come. But the reason why it's down the road a little is because in the journey, I've got some work to do with you along the way and grow us up into the maturity that he saved us to live for. So this morning, I just want to have a little bit of a, a touch on something more of, a, of, of, of the work of the heart, if we, could, if we could approach it like that this morning. Because God is speaking to all of you all of the time of his great loving plans and purposes. And he's calling you to himself. He's calling you into them all of the time. Visions of what it might be to be a great parent or to be a great employee or a a great student or a a great mechanic or a great artist or whatever, whatever you are and where you are, it's into that context that Jesus is speaking kingdom vision. So if you've got your Bible, would you open it up, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read a parable this morning. Now, let me just give you a little bit of an idea of 
um, you know, when you read a parable, if you haven't read a parable before, some, you can read them and kind of go, what, is, what on earth is he talking about there? Well, that's the point of a parable. It's to actually engage the listener or the reader of the parable in that question of like, what's Jesus on about? Because in that response, what we're saying is, I'm intrigued, show me more. And that's why Jesus often spoke in parables, to draw participation out from the listener, from the reader of what he was saying. Okay, so we're going to read a parable. And you might, as we read it this morning, you might be going like, well, that bit stands out to me. I wonder what he means by that. There's the, there's the invitation of the Holy Spirit if you're asking those questions. Now, parables don't work for people who approach parables with a sense of, well, I already know what I need to know. If, you, if you're approaching a parable with like a, an, an unteachable attitude or an unteachable mind or an unteachable heart, then you'll read a parable and you'll hear a parable and you'll just go, there's nothing in that for me. That's, that's called being blind. That's called being proud. That's called being unwilling to learn. Okay, Disciples, the word disciple meaning student, disciples are people, Jesus', Jesus people who always approach the things of God with God. Show me about yourself in this and show me about myself in this and show me what we're going to learn and grow from this and do together from this point forward. Okay, so that's how, that's how disciples of Jesus approach the parables of Jesus. So let me read that to you. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through to 15. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app. And I'm just reading the NIV version. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. If you have got your Bible or your app, you might just want to underline those words, the good news of the kingdom of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he taught about, spoke about, demonstrated the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' core message. That's his core theology. It's his core lifestyle. Now, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seeds, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. And still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop, 
a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has an ears to hear, let him hear. Kind of cryptic, really, isn't it? It's like he tells this story and then says, If you've got your ears on, you'll be hearing what I'm saying without giving you the answer. Now, I love his disciples because they're like, we think we heard you, but we need some help. Okay? Let me just say, God loves it when we approach him with, I think I've heard you, God, but I need some more help. That's not unbelief. That's not lack of faith. That's actually heart, desire, and passion to really want to hear. To that, I mean... I'm, you know, Nick will talk to me all the time. And I don't know, she could probably give you a more honest response, but I, I reckon about a good chunk of the time I hear her. Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> but, but sometimes I actually, when, when she's talking, I know I'm, I'm off somewhere else in my head and my heart and my thinking. And then I actually... I actually go, you know what, I think she said something there that I really needed to hear. And so I'll go back and say, Nick, can you just say that again? Because I, I think I really need to hear what you just said. And I wasn't paying enough attention. Disciples are like that. Disciples are like that with Jesus. Jesus, I, I think I can hear you. I think you speak. Yeah, I, can you just repeat that for me? I really want to get this. Okay. Like a student, Isaiah talks about a student with their ear inclined to hearing. A good student. That's the nature of the orientation of a disciple. I really want to hear you, Jesus. His disciples asked him, what does the parable mean? He said, the knowledge of the kingdom of God. There it is, that phrase again. The kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. If that was Jesus and I was there, I would still be going, I'm still confused. Can you just give me some more help here? <laughs> so kindly, Jesus goes on. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. Okay, so he boils it down now. He says, the seed is the word of God. And those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while but in times of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now that's a key right there, folks. Three dynamics that prevent maturity in the Christian walk and the development of personal character. We get choked by worry, 
money and the pursuit of self-pleasure. You might want to underline that one too. I know I have. But the seed that fell on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. They hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Thus ends the lesson from Jesus. <laughs> now hopefully he's, he's helped the disciples to get a bit of a grip on this idea of what a parable is about. And there's key words in there, and I really want to pick up on just one of those people groups that he picks up on. But the, before I do that, what tends to happen is we tend to look at this and we go, or we hear that parable and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, one of, I'm that one, or I'm this one, or... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not like any of those ones that made a mess of it. I'm like, I'm the good, good soil. I'm the noble one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, point is, we're like, we're all like all of them all of the time. And the, the, the good news about this parable that as Jesus is speaking about the inbreaking of his kingdom into the world and into the lives of people, he's literally saying, it doesn't matter what type of person you are whether you're a path person, a rocky person, a, a choked up person or a noble person, I'm giving my seed of revelation to everyone that the kingdom of God is at hand for all people all the time. Jesus is not saying, I only give the seed to those who are noble and good. No, clearly he is saying, because there's a big crowd around him, of people from all over the place. And he's saying, I'm, I'm shedding, uh, speaking out and proclaiming and demonstrating the, the revelation of God, of the kingdom of God has now come in the person of myself to all people and for all people and for all time. How it lands and where it lands, that's on your end. He's not holding out. There's an engagement process here that God's calling all people into. And the key is how we're responding. Let me this morning just quickly focus on the good soil and the noble heart. I haven't got time to unpack the other three this morning, but let's just go zero in on that one. So whether you're feeling good or noble is not the point. The point is Jesus is releasing vision to your life. He's releasing the vision of the kingdom of God to all people all of the time. But there, are, there is an opportunity on our end in light of Jesus to say, help my heart, help my character be able to fully grasp this revelation that you're bringing to me, that I can walk life with you, Jesus. So Jesus talks about this noble or this good heart where his seed lands and where it finds great life and, and great um, efficacy. It really has effect. So it's, it's, it's those kind of people who are genuine and pure in their response to God. Genuine. Not, not, not fake in their responses to God. Not you know, like an aftermarket type 
battery, not, you know, like not an aftermarket battery, but the real thing, the real you. See, see, God loves it when people welcome his revelation of personal vision and kingdom vision for your life and for mine. He loves to work with the real material of our life. Not the religious stuff that we might want to pop up and say, look how good I'm doing, Jesus. No, not that at all. But the genuine, the pure, the honourable heart that says, here am I as I really am, Jesus, but I'm, give me more. Show me. It's where we hear the word and see Jesus and his kingdom. He describes them. Now, that word here is a very interesting word. You could do a whole other message on the word here. Um, one of the very first words in the Old Testament um, that the people of Israel would always proclaim about the covenant relationship that they have with God was they would say, Hear, O Israel, our God is one. That word here is an interesting one in the Old Testament and the New because there in the Old Testament, the word here literally means two things in the one. In the one, It literally means to hear and to act. There's no, whereas in the Greek we tend to go, we hear and we go, well, I've heard you. In the Hebrew, it was to hear God is to act on the hearing. So that it's, it's one it's one word, but it has a, a dual implication. It's like, I hear you, God, therefore I am doing this. So Jesus, <laughs> that's why he keeps saying, you guys hear, but you don't understand. Because we go, oh, yeah, I hear, I hear you. But we, we've somehow separated that from our lifestyle and actions. So people who have got good soil, they hear the revelation of Jesus to their life and of his kingdom. They hear it, but in the hearing, what they're saying is, now let my life be transformed by the very thing that I'm hearing or seeing or envisioning that God is breaking in over my life with. And I will give myself to the outworking of that. I will yield to that. I'll hand myself over to what God is saying hear they hear the word hearing and doing is the one word they retain it when god says something to them it's interesting when you get to sit with people and hear their stories and hear their moments of encounter with jesus and like last weekend i met like a whole bunch of people and in the space of a few minutes you know these strangers are like family because they're telling me their stories of encounters with Jesus. Oh, I remember when Jesus said this to me and he did that. And it's like, that, they're speaking of something that happened in the past, but in the telling of it, it's like it was just yesterday that it happened. It has, it has this priority in their life that they've just given themselves over to because they've had an encounter with Jesus. He's spoken to them. They hold fast, they keep it secure, and they hold a it's like a possession. It's mine, literally, almost. A number of years ago, I think it was probably about, I think we're at about, might have been 17, 
uh, 15, somewhere between 15 and 17 years ago. I have to remember. I have to confirm the timeline on that one. But I sat down with Dave, Dave Hockey, who's out there busy getting the barbecue ready so you can have some sausages after the service today. Um, but I was having a chat with Dave about 15 or 17 years ago and we had a coffee together. We were still kind of figuring out if we wanted to be friends with each other and walk life a bit. And we started to hear each other's stories of God. And as we prayed together, we felt like God was telling us a few things and showing us a few things about what was on his heart for the greater Pine Rivers region. And it was really big and it was like massively like way beyond and yet incredibly compelling. And at the same time, I had this sense to say as it was all going on, I said, you know what? And I think this was God. I said, we only need to give ourselves to this thing for 20 years. That's all, man. If we can just give ourselves to this very vision of Jesus for 20 years, it's going to turn a generation to Christ. When you receive, and it still burns in us when we get together and we talk. Through all of the good stuff and the hard stuff that we've been through together over the last 15 to 17 years, that moment burns fresh in us every time we sit and talk and we dream together about what God has said to us. Only 20 years, steadfastly. Do you know what? Um, faithfulness just looks like this. If I could explain faithfulness to you like this. When God gives you something to carry, to steward of his kingdom, whether it's for a relationship or a work environment, for a, a city, for a church, for a youth group, for children that you're working with, for the people in the mercy ministry centre, this is what faithfulness looks like when that revelation has found home in your heart. It simply looks like this. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And on it goes. That's what faithfulness looks like. It just means I am going to carry this with you, Jesus, every step of every day. And I'm going to ask you to bring it to completion. Let your kingdom come into the earth just like it is in heaven. Lord, I will steward that with you. That's what faithfulness looks like. It's not very, like, sexy, really, is it? It's just like, it's just like, well, that's kind of, well, that's right. It just means walking with God. Walking with God. Now, there'll be a lot of things that'll come along and try and rob you of that walk. But in doing so, Carrying kingdom vision produces kingdom life and kingdom growth. Can I just tell you a few stories right now of what it looks like when people carry the kingdom? There's a guy by the name of Charles Finney. They call him the father of modern revivalism, and it was the second great awakening that he helped facilitate in the United States. Now, he was a young lawyer. He was a young lawyer, very intelligent man, and but he, he was constantly... Um, being uh, approached by Jesus. Jesus was trying to break in over his life. And here's some memoirs of his. Let me read this to you. He says, I was born in Litchfield County, Connecticut in 1792. My parents were not religious people. I seldom heard a sermon unless it was from some ignorant traveling minister. So there you go. <laughs> and I recollect very well 
that the people would return from meetings laughing at the mistakes which had been made and the absurdities which had been advanced. In 1818, when I was 26, I entered the law office of Squire W. at Adams in Jefferson County, upstate New York, as a student. Up to this time, I'd never lived in a praying community before, except when I was attending high school in New England. The preaching in that place was by an aged clergyman, an excellent man, but he read his sermons out in a monotonous, humdrum manner that left no impression whatever on my mind. Well, obviously it did. Thus, when I went to Adams to study law, I was almost ignorant of religion as a heathen. So that's how he self-described himself. In the studying of law, I found that the authors frequently quoted scriptures and referred especially to Moses as authority from many of the principles of common law that he was living that day. This excited my curiosity so much that I went and purchased a Bible, the first I'd ever owned. And whenever I found a reference to the Bible, I turned to the passage and consulted it in its connection. This soon led to my taking a new interest in the Bible. And I read it and I meditated on it much more than I'd ever done before in my life. However, much of it I still didn't understand. He's not alone in that. I began to talk to the local minister, but I found it impossible to attach any meaning to many of the terms which he used. What did he mean by repentance? And what did he mean by faith? And I was particularly struck by the fact that the prayers that I listened to from week to week were not that I could see answered. And so I read my Bible and attended prayer meetings and I became very restless. That's a good sign, restlessness. That's usually when the grace of God is starting to come around our life and begin to bring us into a place where we can change and follow him. But I was proud, I was very proud without knowing it, he says. I had no regard for the opinion of others and I was unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. And when I prayed, I would only whisper, after having stopped the keyhole to the door, lest someone should discover me. And I kept my Bible out of sight. If I was reading it when anybody came in, I would throw my law books upon it to create the impression that I had, it, that I had not had it in my hand. I was unwilling to converse with the minister because I did not want to let him know how I felt. And for the same reason, I avoided conversation with any of those elders of the church. Then one night in October 1821, a strange feeling came over me as if I was about to die. <laughs> You've got to think of like Isaiah, you know, like when at the start of Isaiah, when he met God. And he was like, ah, I'm going to die. That's when you're coming into the presence of the holy God who's coming over your life. <laughs> Finney says, I was about to die. I knew that if I should sink down to hell, I knew that if I did, I should sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. At an early hour, I started for the office 
But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me. What are you waiting for? What are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? This voice said to him. Just at this point, the whole question of salvation opened up my mind in a manner most marvelous to me. I saw interesting choice of words. I saw as clearly as I ever have since the reality and the fulfillment of the atoning work of Christ. I saw that his work was a finished work and that instead of having or needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I submitted myself to the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And salvation seemed to me an offer to be accepted. It was full and complete. And all that was necessary on my part was to give up my sin and to accept Jesus Christ. North of the village lay a piece of woodland, and I turned and I bent my course towards these woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Probably there was no, not a person on earth that would have even suspected a thing had he seen me going. But so great was my pride and so much was I possessed with the fear of man that I crept along under the fence until I got so far out of sight that no one could see me. And then as I penetrated into the woods and knelt down for prayer, vowing that I would give my heart to God or never come back from the woods again. As I returned to the village, I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. No words can express the love that was in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and I literally bellowed the unutterable gushings of my heart. He was speaking in the gift of tongues. The next morning, a client came into the office and said to me, Mr. Finney, do you recollect, recollect, re recollect that my cause is to be tried at 10 o'clock this morning? I suppose you are ready. I had been retained to attend his suit as an attorney. And I replied to him, Mr. So-and-so, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause and I can no longer plead yours. At which I, he looked at me with astonishment and said, what do you mean? And I told him in a few words that I had enlisted my life in the cause of Christ and that he must go and find somebody else to attend to his court because I could no longer do it. And without making any reply, he went out and I sallied forth from the office to converse with those that I should meet about their souls. I had the impression, which was never left my mind, that God wanted me to preach the gospel and that I must begin immediately. No longer had I any desire to practice law. Everything in that direction for me was closed and shut. My whole mind was taken up with the reality of Jesus and his saving work, and that the world to me seemed of very little consequence. Nothing, it seemed, could be put in com competition with the worth of a human soul. No labor could be so sweet, no employment so exalted as that of holding up Jesus to a dying world. 
there's the story of seed landing on good soil. Finney was also later on between 1825 and 35 in a 10-year window facilitated with the help of God massive moves of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit upon the believers in that whole part of the world. And then after that, he engaged in issues of social justice and worked hard for the abolition of slave slave labour. He was socially engaged. That's the other outworking when, when the seed lands of the kingdom of God lands in good soil. We get socially engaged as well as relationally engaging people to Jesus. Let me tell you a quick another story. John Wimber, founder of the leader and leader of the of the Vineyard Movement. John was a writer and a composer for a band called the Righteous Brothers, which was a lounge act at the time in Las Vegas, on its way to becoming quite something. And not long after John uh, met Jesus, he um, his his personal life was in a mess. His marriage was in a mess. He meets Jesus, and then he sells. All of his rights to the music of the Righteous Brothers, he, he doesn't sell it. He just gives it all over to the Righteous Brothers. He writes himself out of that, and then he goes and gets himself a job emptying oil barrels, cleaning oil barrels. Carol, his wife, tells the story of how John would sit at nighttime playing the piano, and he would play the piano at all times of the night and the day. And he would write and he would compose songs to Jesus all the time. And one time, Carol said to him, John, you should record that one. And John's reply was, why would I record this? It's not for me, it's for him. That seed, that seed landed in good soil that then went on to see a whole wave of worship leaders and songs that brought renewal to the body of Christ all over the world and continues to do so today, all over the world. But the heart of it for him was, why would I record this? It's not for me. It's for him. Nicole and I were, um, when we were in the UK recently at a series of meetings, I found myself in a coffee break and this lady approached me and I didn't know who she was and she introduced herself to me as Elaine Cook. And Elaine and her husband Jeremy, they pastor a vineyard church in Hull, the UK. They described it to me as, it's the end of the train line, basically. (laughs) That's where we planted a church at the end of a train line. And they started, as I was talking with them just about some general sort of conversational stuff, all of a sudden my recollection came back to me of a message that I listened to on audio tape once. It was a long time ago, audio tape, of Jeremy telling his story of how he met Jesus. And then all of a sudden I realised, oh, you're that Jeremy and Elaine Cook. And all of a sudden, I understood their story as she was talking with me a bit more. Um, And in the story of Jeremy, as he recounts his testimony, at one point, uh, Jeremy was the, I think it was the the chief financial officer of EMI and Virgin Records. And so 
Jeremy knows a thing or two about music and artists and producing and all of those things. And he meets Jesus. And um, in the course of all of that experience of meeting Jesus, over the years, Jeremy had built up quite a collection of very valuable records. You know, limited stuff that was very, very valuable. And one day, out of a conversation that he had with Jesus, he comes to Elaine and he says, Elaine, I think I need to burn all my records. And Elaine's response to him was, I think you had better go and burn all your records. There's the wisdom of God. (laughs) And at that point, the seed that had fallen into Jeremy and Elaine's life went from just being on the surface and it found good soil. Because they went, they just wanted Jesus. And they were prepared to walk away from everything that they'd attached any sense of value and worth and identity from to follow Jesus. That then John Wimber then invited Jeremy to please come and help him with vineyard music all over the world. And Jeremy was key in helping to produce vineyard music that went all over the world and still does today. It was just a wonderful little encounter. But there's a story of when the seed lands on noble and good soil and you give yourself over to the work of the seed. How about in Luke's gospel there? There's, there's a specific reason that Luke records these three women, Magdalene, Joanna and Susanna. Have a look at what these three women did. These women were helping to support them. Who's them? Jesus and the twelve. These women were helping to support the twelve and Jesus out of their own means. In other words, these women, Susanna, Magdalene and and Joanna, had encounters with Jesus that were so profoundly life-giving to them that they decided that everything that I'm about in this life, I want to be given over to and investing in the work of the kingdom of God in Jesus. Incredible that they would just pour their personal resources into Jesus And then the fruit of that, well, we now live in the history of that decision, don't we? As followers of Jesus, we can draw a line from that decision to today with integrity. Their their investment, their means, what they had, they gave for the sake of Jesus. Such was the vision and the encounter and the purposes of Jesus, of the kingdom of God breaking into the earth that that yes for them has implications for our life in Christ today. Three little stories. And of course, I mentioned before just the story of Dave. Please keep praying for him. He's doing an amazing work in our local high school here at Pine Rivers and has been working there for 20-something years, I think. And one of the fruits of his labours is John and Naomi who gave themselves to letting Jesus transform their lives in ministry and education for the work of the kingdom of God. And there's others in this room as well that have been touched by our mate Dave. So in the course of all of this, Finney, Wimber, the Cooks, 
Mary, Joanna, Susanna, Dave, they've all had encounters with Jesus and they've received from him the revelation or the seed of the word and the works of the kingdom of God and it landed in their heart. And also, of course, over the time, that heart has been proven and grown and developed in all of them. They wanted Jesus more than anything. That's what kingdom living and life looks like. We hear the word of Jesus. We hold fast to it and hang on for it. And we persevere and we're faithful and we endure because over time comes a crop of the kingdom of God in the earth. So this morning I want to finish with this, the words of Paul. The words of Paul. He says it like this. He says, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. I consider it all rubbish that I might gain Christ. Do we have a vision of Jesus? I believe he's releasing good seed, kingdom seed and life into all of us all of the time. And now the opportunity for us is to respond in kind and say, Lord, use my heart, take my heart, make my heart a noble heart. I want it to be a genuine heart. Take all of the impurity that's at play in there and please, Lord Jesus, make me more like you. I was talking with some folk uh, last Sunday and and they said to me, um, they were talking about their church. They said, um, they said, we're a very awkward church uh, and we look very odd to people and... um, and they said, in fact, we're, we're a bit embarrassed to even invite people to come and be a part of this thing. And, and I said, and so are you seeing the, are you seeing the kingdom advance? <laughs> and they said, well, no, not really. And I said, well, you need to start asking God to give you his heart because while you're embarrassed about the ones that he's sending, you won't see the kingdom advance. You need his heart for them. Ask for his heart. Now, I bring that up because I remember in our singing this morning, there was a song that we sang where it was like, give me your heart. Give me your, yeah, with what breaks yours. You know, give me your heart. I want what's on your heart. Give me your vision. Give me your love. Give me you, God. Are we praying like that? Are we praying, oh, God, give me you, as Paul would say, I must have you, the surpassing greatness of you, your love, your affections, your kingdom, your rule and reign. I, it's it's got to be you, God. Give me your heart. How's the fibre of your heart this morning? And is your heart crying out for God? I, it must be you. And there you'll see the Spirit come and birth vision. Stuff that you won't, <laughs> you know, you won't dilly around wondering about what life is about. But you'll live 
from the encounter of the revelation of the kingdom of God as it's breaking into the earth, even as Finney did. I can no longer serve your cause. I have another cause to plead. I can no longer live for this. I now live for this. This is what happens to people. (laughs) And I tell you, it's the most crazy adventure full of kingdom joy, kingdom collision, war, lives being saved, bodies being healed, families turning around from death to life. People with no income receiving grace and help in their time of need from, from just radical acts of generosity. From that, you know, I just heard this morning of a, of a brother who has felt like Jesus said, go and do this for me. And he didn't have the resources to do it. But as he said, yes, Lord, and he did that in a conversation with someone, they said to him, we will underwrite that decision to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars because we want to champion your saying yes to Jesus. Come on. That's what the kingdom of God looks like in people. Out of their own means, like Susanna and Joanna and Magdalene, out of their own means, out of what we've been given, the kingdom is just bursting to break forth. And it does in hearts that go, oh, I must have you, God. I must have you and nothing less. So this morning, I'm going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit, well, he's already at work here among us, I believe, at work among us, but there's some heart stuff going on here this morning. God's speaking to hearts. And just like that noise outside, for some of us, it's a little bit alarming. (laughs) Just let the kingdom come. Why don't we stand and pray? (laughs) Because we're not going to live by fear and we're not going to live under the alarm of other things. We're not going to be choked by worries. We're not going to be choked by riches and concerns of finance. We're not going to be choked by all of that other stuff or the self-gain. We're we're just not going to be choked by that anymore because we want you, Jesus. Why don't you just close your eyes and let's pray. God. Come, please, just come. Just come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Just to continue, even as you have over the last little while on this conversation point, you've been turning up the volume. You've been bringing greater revelation. You've been bringing great encounters. Come, Lord. Fan that into a flame, I pray this morning. Capture us with the magnitude of the vision of who you are, Jesus, and your great kingdom and and, and how that's going to look in our life and circumstances. Give us the eyes to see and understand that we could carry this, Lord, that we could carry this, Lord, in such a way, out of a place of freedom, we could steward this before you, Father, with great joy and partnership with the Holy Spirit. Great joy and partnership with the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, just more. 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 Thank you, Lord. Bring more. Bring more revelation right now, Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. 
Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Show us your power of love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Come, Holy Spirit, more. Give us your heart. Friends, just pay attention for a few moments to the things God's showing you in this space. Pay attention to the color of it to the shape of it. Pay attention to the people that are in that vision. Pay attention to the surroundings. Pay attention to Jesus. More Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, there is something I do want to give you here as a post-encounter encouragement. And just like when God spoke to Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, he said, write down the vision. Today, at some point, while this, is, this conversation is still fresh, just let the disciplining work of the Holy Spirit help you to write this down. So for some of you it may be, or it may be a song, or it may be a piece of art, it, it just, or for others it is literally text, it is word. Write it down. Write it down. I thank you, God, for all that you're doing in the room this morning as you're birthing vision in us. And in Jesus' name, I just bless you. I bless you to walk in the fullness of what God is revealing to you in this hour. To walk in the life of it. For your joy. For your salvation for the salvation of the people and the families and the workplaces around you. And that there would be great joy in the streets. For Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.